0: Carlson, Carlson. Där är den bästa Carlson. Carlson, Carlson. Hoj här kommer Carlson. Carlson, Carlson. Ingen faktiskt ingen annan Carlson som läser bra som mig. Carlson, Carlson. Carlson scores. Carlson! yeah, Carlson! Yeah! Welcome everybody
1: to the it Carlson Fantasy Hockey Black Podcast, match. the longest running fantasy Nena. hockey podcast in the Dolson. world, hosted by a guy who Black may Black owe Nena. our guest Nena. today some money because he gave me a really hot tip on more insider before the season. I'm your host, Dylan Dubrowski, and with me, once again, for the third season in a row, super stoked for this because it's another installment of our 32 Beats Beat Writer Series, and we've got Detroit Red Wings expert Prashanth Iyer back on the show to once again talk about this Detroit Red Wings team that keeps getting a little bit better and a little little bit better welcome back to keeping carlson prashanth
0: thank you for having me uh for a third year in a room surprised the surprised your listeners have not uh petitioned to have me not come back yet so
1: <laughs> Come on. We knew from the start, you're the the number one resource for Red Wings. And like, especially like I re-listened to last year's interview and you just got so much right. You just know your stuff, I guess, with the Red Wings. You were like telling me how like Moritz Sider was going to be the number one defenseman on the team, like right from the start. Like no doubt about it. Like the clear best guy. The news just came out like an hour before we started recording. has just won the Calder Trophy patrons of kevin carlson know that i put a bet on him at nine to one i was bra- i think i even mentioned on the show it was like in october <laughs> november i think like it was around like the time lucas raymond had that great start to the year another red wing which we'll get to and i thought like okay nine to one i'll take that bet and i'm feeling good today for seanth
0: yeah i mean you know after the season he had last year in the shl where he was such a dominant defenseman for Rogo and takes him all the way to the finals i mean it was hard not to see him coming over and making a huge impact, but even even then, I can't say that I imagine it would have been as big of an impact as we saw. I certainly expected him to be kind of the best guy in Detroit, but that was more due to the absence of other guys and right. not necessarily him being what he was, but man, oh man, he was terrific this year.
1: Yeah, well, I will say that on the show you were sort of saying how he's going to be an amazing like defensive defenseman and log big minutes and be good for peripherals, but you were kind of predicting that maybe he won't have like such a huge offensive impact and you were saying that maybe this could be good for like a Philip Horonic cuz now, you know, Cider could take away Horonic's defensive responsibilities and Horonic will still be like the top power play, but like right away like Cider just got the job and held on to it all season long. I guess like uh Blashill just was like, "No, nah, this guy's going to run the power play. He's awesome."
0: Yeah, I think that's honestly the common uh, misconception about Sider that myself and probably just about every scout missed with him is even coming into the 2019 draft. A lot of people were like, "Yeah, this is a guy who's going to be a really good defensive defenseman." Don't see a lot of offensive upside, and that take has sort of followed him for a while. Including myself saying that as recently as a year ago that I just I didn't necessarily see the great offensive game. But I mean, sure enough, this is a guy who threatened Nick Lidstrom's rookie record. You know, for defensemen on Detroit Red Wings scoring. And so it's clear that he's got the potential and he's got the playmaking ability. And a lot of that came on the power play, which was again another huge surprise, you know, with Philip Haronick having that big right-handed shot. Uh he had been on the the power play for the last couple of years as Detroit's number one quarterback. And and yeah, right from the get-go, right? Like like you said, Sider took over and really demonstrated more with his feet than with his shot, what he's able to do in controlling a power play. And so I foresee him being the number one guy really in every situation for Detroit for years to come.
1: Yeah, now we'll just have to see if the, if you know Steve Eiserman can put a strong enough team around him to you know take advantage of how how great he is. And let's talk about the Wings just as a as a team overall. So we talked first two years ago; they were coming off the 2019-20 season, one of the worst seasons any team like has ever had. Uh, so it wasn't that surprising that the following year, when we talked they had done a little better. They jumped up from, like, one of the worst teams of all time to uh, fifth last in the league. And now this past year, look at them now. Now they were eighth last in the league. So slowly <laughs> but surely, they're they're climbing up the ranks at this rate. Seems like we're going to be uh, talking about a playoff team if not this year the next year if they just continue this pattern. And for what it's worth, things were looking better. Like, a couple months into the season, like, by December 4th, uh, the Wings were a team on a five-game winning streak. They were sitting with a winning, like, 13-9-3 record, like, Larkin, Bertuzzi, and Ray we were all off to amazing starts like Cider as we've discussed it was looking like everything you cracked him up to be. Nedeljkovic was looking like the steal of the offseason or maybe I don't know, maybe Leafs fans will say Michael Bunting was. But uh and this was actually all with Verana on the shelf. Uh so at that point like if you could take yourself back to December, did you think the wings were looking like good enough to fight for a playoff spot?
0: Um You know, if I flash back to December and I think if I can find the tweets that say they're probably out there, someone go back and find those from December. I did think it was a bit of a mirage. They were certainly outperforming, uh, you know, the way that they were playing. And I think what you were really seeing was a a tear from Dylan Larkin, a tear from Tyler Bertuzzi that certainly wasn't going to be sustainable. I think you saw Robbie Fabry get off to a great start. And Lucas Raymond, obviously scoring, you know, a fair bit, getting a hat trick early. Um, You know, I think they had a lot of things going right, but not a lot of things that seemed sustainable over the course of the season. Um, You couple that with Boston sort of got off to a slower start. And I think the writing was on the wall that this was a team that could fall off. Now, that being said. I don't think that anybody expected them to fall off as dramatically as they did in the second half of the season where they started giving up eight goals, nine goals, 10 goals left and right. And, uh, basically a, becoming a defensive black hole, if you will. Uh, I think, I think there were sort of two seasons that we saw and neither one really represented what the Red Wings actually were. And it's kind of a weird way to view right. them. This year.
1: So like, what do you think happened in that second half? Like why did they fall off so precipitously?
0: You know, I think that's the challenge. And, and when you look at it this year, a lot of things are very abnormal about this year. I mean, we saw goal scoring go through the roof. We saw the number of goaltenders utilized um, be higher than we had really ever seen before. Um, and it wasn't necessarily due to teams generating better chances. It was simply the goaltending was worse. And I don't know if this is lagging effects of the pandemic, playing a lot of games in a shortened period of time, if fatigue is sort of catching up. The Red Wings did have a compressed schedule. Um, you know, they had to deal with an Olympic break that wasn't an Olympic break. And then an all-star break, um, that led to a lot of games being crammed in a short period of time. So I don't know if it was fatigue. Uh, the wings again, also were hit with a lot of injuries this year. Uh, you know, they lost, uh, Jacob Verana for a majority of the season. And he was a guy that was supposed to be a big player for them. Tyler Bertuzzi missed a fair bit of games because of his vaccination status. And then an injury, Dylan Larkin missed a lot of time with injury. Uh, so. You know, and then Robbie Fabry obviously tears his ACL uh, midway through the year, and that's another big guy that they lose. So, I think injuries, fatigue, pandemics, or you roll it all into one. But even then, I don't think anything really explains how spectacular the collapse was, really, in February and March.
1: And then, so, looking forward, like, I see that Jeff Blashill won't be coming back as the coach. Uh, I actually saw recently that it's looking like Sergey Fedorov, Iserman's former superstar teammate, is, is the front. I don't know if that's up to date. I, I we, we were originally going to talk last week, and I had just seen, like, news reports that Fedorov is the front runner. I don't know if you have an update there, but, like, is this shakeup of the coach, like, do you think that's like, has to do with the fall in last season? And do you think that with, like, a new direction, they could kind of turn things around and start, like, I guess ending the rebuild and becoming a contender next season—that's
0: a—that's a million dollar question with the Red Wings right now. And I think um, I think the change in head coach signals more a change of expectations moving forward than a reflection on this past season. Um, I think Steve Eiserman said it quite well in his uh, post-season uh, conference press conference when he talked about letting go of Jeff Blashill. That sort of Lashley never really was given a team that was expected to contend. Um, You know, maybe the first two years after he took over for Babcock, when he still had uh, a lot of those elite players from Detroit, like Datsuk and Zetterberg, um, you know, and a a fresh Larkin and, and, and guys like that, maybe the expectations were a little bit higher, but for the better part of the last four or five years, this has not been a team that's been expected to be anywhere near the playoffs. And so I don't think you can necessarily judge him entirely on those results seen there. And I think it's more a signal of how they feel about Black, the likelihood that Blasha was the right guy moving forward with the potential change in expectations. And so, you know, whether it's Sergey Fedorov, I think he's the betting favorite, but I would um, buy like Vegas odds, but I don't think he's actually the favorite. I would be stunned if he was named head coach. Uh, he has one year of head coaching experience in the KHL. Granted he won the Gagarin cup, which is their version of the Stanley Cup, in that first year. But it is one year. I think it would be a huge risk for Iserman to do that. And then there's also the sort of unresolved issue of number 91 does not hang from the rafters when it very much should. Uh, And so I can't see them bringing him in to that type of situation without that first being resolved. Uh, So I don't think it will be him, but I do think you are seeing a change in expectations for this team. And I'm hoping what you see is a reflection of that in Eisenman's moves this summer, whether he decides that this is a team that needs to tear down one more time or a team that is on the precipice of contending and therefore he needs to do a lot of adding.
1: Right. Yeah. Well, they should have a decent amount of cap space. Right. I guess I could I could bring it up here, but I can't imagine that it'll be hard for them to get like one of these top free agents. Well, I guess they have to convince them to come. But like if they want one, they can get one. Right.
0: Yeah, I mean, money-wise, this is a team that's like $21 from the floor. So this is a team that has to spend. They have very few contracts that they really need uh, to deal with this offseason. Now, you know, I would say that if they are planning on contending in the next one to two years, then they probably want to go ahead and get an extension done for Dylan Larkin, who will be an unrestricted free agent after next season. They'll likely want to do that the same for Tyler Bertuzzi if they plan to keep him in the fold. And then Moritz Sider is a guy who will be up in two years. And so they'll have to start thinking about his long-term plan there. Uh, but aside from really Bertuzzi and Larkin, there are no other major contracts the Red Wings really have to deal with this offseason. And so they have the potential to step in and say, yeah, you know what, I'm going to go out and spend $40 million, um, you know, in, in, in in cap space for next season. And add as much as they want, um, you know, so if they want to chase down a Johnny Gaudron and as Kadri, they could do it. If they want to ch- chase down a John Klingberg, they could do it. If they want to swing a big deal for Jacob Chickering, they could do it, you know, assuming those players would be interested in coming. So it all comes down to what direction Eisman wants to take this team
1: yeah it just seems like a really fun time to be a Wings fan like assuming and Iserman like everyone like really respects him and thinks he knows what he's doing so you, you know there, it's not like when you're a fan of a team that has the potential but also you're worried that the management doesn't know what to do like it just seems like I'm so excited to see what they're going to do with all this cap space and now these like young players that are really looking like they could be ready to take that next step forward and I guess let's start with with Dylan Larkin here well, I guess we started with Cider already but I guess yeah officially we can start with Larkin now uh, like he put up a career year back in 2018-19 at 70 three points then he dipped for two consecutive years the two years we talked to you we were talking about why did larkin fall like he went had a 61 point uh, season 2019-20, or for at least a pace, and then only a 43 point pace in 2020-21. So when we talked last year, you were talking about how like having Bertuzzi back would hopefully be huge for him. He'd also likely benefit from playing with a talent like Jacob Verana. Uh, in fact, your exact quote was that you thought that Larkin could soar with these guys. And of course, Verana ended up missing the majority of the season, but that was no problem because just Lucas Raymond took that spot that you expected Verana to sit in. And that top line did indeed help Larkin soar. He not only bounced back from his previous disappointing season but even edged out that career high point pace he had 69 points in 71 games for an 80 point pace before unfortunately he missed the end of the season with that core muscle surgery so yeah how much credit do you give Larkin's like line mates for his resurgence versus him just like I don't know turning things around himself and being a better player last season
0: I think it's definitely a combination of both. I think you could argue that last season was the longest stretch that of talented line mates Dylan Larkin's played with since he played with Henrik Zetterberg back in his rookie year oh, wow. and, and early part of his career. I mean, sure, he had he had a lot of time with Tyler Bertuzzi and, and Anthony Manta uh, spread out over the, the last couple of seasons, but I think last year was the best version of Tyler Bertuzzi we ever saw, and some credit of that goes to Dylan Larkin. And last year was also, you know, the first time he's played with a terrific playmaker like Lucas Raymond, you know, he'd played flashes with, with Thomas Tatar and, and flashes with, with Gustav Nyquist. But I think Lucas Raymond is a guy who potentially has the ability to be a notch above those guys from a playmaking standpoint. And so you put all three of those guys together on the top line and they were absolutely dynamite. I mean, that line in the first three months of the season was so much fun to watch. You could have argued them as one of the 15 best lines in hockey, um, and, and and they were scoring like that. And then until the injuries started to roll in, until you started to have the Canada stretches pop up in November and December when Tyler Bertuzzi had to sit out, um, you know, once once those things started to come into play and the, and the chemistry started to dip and Lucas Raymond started to hit a, a, a wall a little bit, I think you did see the that line as a whole start to slow down. But really, Larkin demonstrated he was the engine that made this team go. He was willing them to go. And I I would have bet if he had stayed healthy through the whole season, you could tell the the few games before he got shut down, he was laboring. He was not himself. That injury had clearly been there. But if he was healthy for the full season, I I fully expect he would have been a point-per-game player um, and with with sort of the defensive game to go with it. So I think moving forward, I would expect more of the version you saw this past season than prior seasons uh, with Dylan Larkin.
1: That's amazing. Yeah, you're right. Like I'm seeing this last uh, 14 games, he only had 10 points when before that he was above a point per game. So that might even make him a bit of a draft steal. You know, people in fantasy are always just looking at like the total season numbers. So yeah, you could like, if you know that those last few games, he wasn't really at his full potential. And now next year he'll come back as good as ever. Uh, Back in the day, I think it was the first time we talked to you, you told Brian and I that you were like, if the wings are going to be like a cup contending team, they'd probably want Larkin more as like their 2C and not their 1C. Like after this past season, do you still feel this way or has Larkin now shown himself to be like a legit top line center on a potential contending team?
0: Yeah, that's that's such a good question. It's, I, I'd still say I don't know the answer to that. I think he's definitely a one C in the NHL. Um, and, and there, the question is, can he consistently stay in this territory where he was this past season? If he can, and he can be in that Ryan O'Reilly type impact where Ryan O'Reilly was for, for St. Louis a couple years ago, then I absolutely believe that Dylan Larkin could be the best player and and the, the number one center on a team uh, that goes to the Stanley Cup Finals. I think what you would ideally want is a comparable uh, player to Larkin also slotting in at C if that's doable. And so, you know, you maybe think about some of these dynamite uh, top two center duos that have been in the playoffs over the past few years. I mean, you look at sort of what uh, Boston had been able to do with uh, Patrice Bergeron and David Krejci. You look at what Detroit did with Datsuk and Zetterberg. You look at what, um, you know, a number of these other uh, terrific teams have done. I mean, the, the, the center depth is, is, is really key. And so, you know, even Colorado this year is a great example, having, being able to run, um, you know, their top line with McKinnon and then coming behind them having cadre, like that's sort of not fair uh, (laughs) to be able to run that. And so I think in a perfect world, you probably want another guy that's in the 85 to 90% of what Larkin's giving you territory um, to be your two C if he's going to be your one. But I think he definitely, I think he's on the cusp of being that guy where it's an easy answer to say yes
1: cool that's great for him that he's been able to have this like i guess bounce back in his career it's wild that just two seasons ago we were or like like last year we were talking about a guy who had like a 40-ish point pace and now you're talking about like a legit like top one c so that that's awesome for him and i guess we'll now have to see what detroit does with his ufa status like you said at the end of next year he'll be unrestricted and i'd imagine he'll probably like do you think that there's a chance he extends this summer or do you think he'll want to see kind of what the red wings do and if they're actually going to become a contender
0: yeah, my my guess is there is an extension in place before October. And my guess is there's an eight year extension in place before October, somewhere north of eight and a half million. This guy is a career red wing. He's not leaving the Detroit. Eisman's not gonna let him leave. Um, so firmly expect that to be in place before the before the season starts
1: awesome okay so then let's go to another exciting piece on the team Lucas Raymond who many weren't even expecting to make the team like when we talked last summer it wasn't like it was gonna be a long shot you know he's only 19 year old uh, and not only did he make the team he played all 82 games and like I said he came out flying right like like a lot of these players to start the season he had 21 points in his first 22 games but then like I guess unlike Larkin who sort of kept it going all season until like maybe right at the very end raymond really slowed down after that hot start he had a, only like quote unquote for a rookie it's still so good but like 36 points in his final 60 games which landed him at 57 points overall in his rookie season so what did you think of the season overall is it the kind of thing where the hot start was like a true representation of what he can do and the cool off was just like rookie inconsistency or do you think like second half raymond is more what we should be expecting next year
0: I think you're going to see probably the average of what you saw, where this is a kid that I think he, you know, as a lot of these rookies, especially when they come over from Europe and playing those shorter seasons, the 82 82 game season can be a little bit more daunting. And then again, when you compress it, like the NHL did this past year, I do think there was a little bit of a rookie wall that he hit um, midway through. And then, like I mentioned, with all of the different injuries and guys sitting out, Um, It was a little bit harder for him to maybe do what he wanted to do, uh, particularly as teams started to key in on him after that hot start. Um, Where I think you'll see more value from him is the Red Wings power play. This guy's an incredibly talented passer, but he also has a terrific shot. And the Red Wings power play was abysmal for large stretches this past season. And they've again cleared house, although Alex Tangay is the, the last remaining coach still there, and he was in charge of the power play. So if he remains in charge, we'll, we'll sort of revisit this conversation. But I think if the Red Wings power play can pick up even just a couple of percentage points and get themselves back in that 195 half to 21% range where uh, the league median usually lives – I think you know, a lot of those points will end up coming off of Lucas Raymond's stick. And, and now you'll start talking about a guy who's in the 65 point over 82 game range um, with a pretty decent amount of power play scoring.
1: That's awesome. Yeah. And there's definitely no risk of him ever like being moved off that top power play. Is he like at this point, like really cemented as like a top line top power play guy for the next like whatever, 10 years?
0: I, I'd suspect so. I mean, you know, he has, he has the advantage of being a, a right shot, which you know, Detroit doesn't have a lot of those, um, going for a lot of forwards, I should say that are right shot. So have, being able to have him as a playmaker on one of the dots, I think he's going to be a staple in that spot. Um, I can't imagine anybody coming in and knocking him off. Yes. They have guys like Jacob Verona and, uh, they've got a guy coming up who may challenge for a spot this year and Jonathan Berggren, um, who I think are good playmakers, but I don't think anybody knocks Lucas Raymond off the top power play unit.
1: Nice. Okay. And then I guess similar to Raymond, Tyler Bertuzzi also had that really hot start and then cooled off a bit at the end. But the hot start lasted a little longer. And even with missing a bunch of games due to not being allowed in Canada, Bertuzzi still crushed that previous best career point total. He had 62 points in 68 games for a 75-point pace. Uh, again, like you nailed it. Like your quote from last year was you said he was poised for a huge bounce-back season and maybe a career season if he's healthy. And so if for the time he was healthy, it was a career season. And like Larkin, he only has one year left on that current contract. For he becomes a UFA and after a season like the one he just had, you've got to imagine he'll be wanting a raise from the 4.75 mil he's been making the past couple of years. So do you think, is this a Larkin situation, like another guy who they're going to for sure be extending this summer? Or do you think Virtuosi is going to have to kind of prove that this was for real for another season in order to really earn that big, long, like eight-year contract?
0: Yeah, I think to me the litmus test of what Detroit is going to, what Steve Eiserman's strategy is going to be moving forward and what his timeline is going to be is entirely hinged on what he does with Tyler Bertuzzi. Okay. So I think this is the key. If you're trying to get any sort of insight onto what Steve Eiserman is doing, how he handles Tyler Bertuzzi, um, I think will sort of reveal his hand a little bit and I'll, and I'll explain why here. So Bertuzzi is a little bit older. He plays a less vital position in terms of being a winger, as opposed to being a center. And there's a lot of other things that go into Tyler Bertuzzi. Number one, you know, the vaccination issue this past year, Mm -hmm. being one of only a a handful of players not vaccinated and arguably the highest profile player not vaccinated. I'm going
1: to be honest. uh, I have Bertuzzi in my dynasty league and I came in second place. And I don't, I might've done a little bit better if Bertuzzi was allowed to play those uh, fantasy playoff games in Canada.
0: (laughs) And so, you know, how, how well that sits with the team, I think is certainly, uh, you know, Realizing that he missed, I think it was 18 games this past season or something along those lines, uh, or, or 16 games, he ended up missing a lot more time than you would have ideally wanted a guy of his caliber to be missing. So that, so I think what he ends up doing is either he says, and by he, I'm saying Steve Eisenman here, Eisenman's either going to say, I firmly believe this team is ready to contend. I've got the young pieces in place. I'm bringing, I'm ready to spend this offseason season. I'm going to go ahead and lock up who I consider to be the core. I'm going to hand Larkin his extension. I'm going to hand Bertuzzi his extension. I'm going to spend some money on some free agents, and we're going to make a big push this year. And that's one way where he could go. And when he get, if he goes that way, you're getting the sense that Eisman's ready to compete. Eiserman's ready to go. This team is ready to be a playoff contender. And it could be the right opportunity this offseason with Boston you know being up in the year we don't know if patrice bergeron's coming back we don't know if david Posternock's getting traded although i think that was a weird rumor you know bruce cassidy's obviously out there so you know is this the right time to make that jump into the fourth best team in the atlantic um, potentially or the, the the flip side as eisenman says i still think we are a couple of big pieces away from being a consistent contending team and therefore, I think the best strategy is to load up for the 2023 draft. And that's because the 2023 draft is obviously loaded up at the top of the draft. I mean, probably the top 10 players in that draft are ridiculous. Obviously, head by, headlined by Conor Bedard. And the other sort of factor that goes into maybe taking that route is, um, you know, the lottery odds have changed. This now it's the the chances of picking first overall as the worst team in the league has never been better. And Montreal wins it this year. Um and wins and you know wins the right to to draft Shane Wright. And so there is potentially a more attractive option of finishing worst overall, almost a 10% better option than when the wings finished first uh worst um, you know, the last time they did this, but after the 2019-2020 season. So all in all, I think what he does with Bertuzzi is gonna tip his hand one way or another as to, is he going to tear down in hopes of landing Connor Bedard, Matvey Mitchkoff, Adam Fantilney, one of those guys at the top of the 2023 draft, or is he ready to ramp up? In which case I'd expect an extension for Bertuzzi.
1: Hmm. Do you think wings fans would be cool with like another, like last place season? It seems like they already had this a couple of years ago.
0: Yeah. You know, I'll be honest. I think people will get frustrated Um, Because the team this past year showed glimpses of being successful. At times, you did see where the offense could be unlocked and where they could do a little bit uh, more than they had been able to in previous years. If add in Simon Edmondson, who's going to join the team this year, potentially Jonathan Berggren, potentially Albert Johansson, potentially Amr Soderblom. There's a lot of excitement around the team. So I, I, I would see it being a tough pill to swallow if, eisman says now nah, we're going to gun for first ov- for the first overall pick again um so you know it'll be it'll be interesting i don't think it'd be widely accepted but because it is steve eisman it would be tolerated
1: right like everyone says like you said like this draft right. class is going to be so good so why not try like though i i could see it both ways because they do have an opportunity like you said to just like really go all in right now and get some really good players but you know i guess it depends how patient you want to be right Uh, So, yeah, there's still a lot of interesting players, though, on the team currently that I want to talk to you about. So we'll get to them in just a sec. All right, we're back, and I'm still talking to Prashanth Ayer all about the Detroit Red Wings. Uh, we've covered the top line, <laughs> so now let's go to, to some other players. With him. I guess there's a bit of a drop-off, but we still have one more potential superstar player that we haven't discussed, and that's Jakob Verana, who missed out on all the fun to start the season. He missed a huge chunk with a shoulder injury. When he did finally get into the fold at the start of March, he did pretty well, right? Like 13 goals, 19 points in 26 games. That's like a 60-point pace. It's kind of weird to pace out, like only 19 games, but you know, he played as like... Like a sixty-point player, and that was like all while averaging less than like fifteen minutes a night, like time on ice, playing primarily with like Pew Suter and then like a Zadina or a Gagne. So it's not as if he was put in like this like amazing opportunity to get points. He still was like pacing as a sixty-point guy. So do you see like a new coach coming in? I almost like uh, this is like a leading question because it just seems so obvious. Like God, it can't be worse, right? Like you'd hope that a new coach coming in could be a good thing for Verona and maybe an opportunity to like see some more minutes, maybe get some better line mates.
0: I mean, you would hope, but this is now two coaches in a row, Barry Trotz and then uh, Jeff Blaschel, that have sort of managed Jacob Braun the same way. And so is there a perception regarding something that we maybe don't see as casual fans that coaches don't like about his game and therefore he doesn't end up with the same amount of minutes? Because truth be told, there's, there's one better five-on-five goal scorer in the NHL and it's Austin Matthews. That's it. Since Jacob Brown has come in the league, he is the second best five on five goal scorer behind Austin Matthews. That's it. So there's no reason from a goal scoring standpoint, this guy doesn't deserve the ice time, but you've now had two consecutive coaches sort of minimize his minutes, not necessarily put him in the best situations at five on five. Um, So it'll be interesting to see who Detroit brings in. Potentially if it's a newer, younger coach, who's not, Got NHL experience, you may get a little bit more minutes in the way of Verona, um, but I do wonder if his defensive game and potentially deficiencies in that area ultimately limit his ceiling to never being more than a 16-minute-a-night guy.
1: Hmm. Yeah. So it's so tricky because it's like so tempting to see like what if he got the Lucas Raymond like treatment, you know, and was on the top line and top power but Like, what would we be looking at like a ninety point player? Uh, but yeah, I guess we'll just have to wait and see. And it would be nice if, if you ever get the opportunity to talk to the new coach. If you could just ask like, <laughs> what's your what's your plan with Verana, Like, let us know in advance of the, of the season. That'd be awesome.
0: <laughs> I mean, that'd be great. and We would all like to know. And I mean, personally, you see this goal scoring numbers the way they are. I mean, he's the fastest Red Wing. In um, Red Wing history, to 20 goals in his career uh, as as a wing, so it's like you, you see that you want more, but you understand that uh, potentially there's some other aspects to his game that just aren't taken as as nicely
1: right Un- unfortunately well they, they've got cider back there so it doesn't matter yes. like just let verona do his thing and cider will clean it up uh so okay so after these four big forwards yeah like i said we've got a bit of a drop in offensive talent but still a couple interesting players i guess i've got to ask for like the third year in a row about philip zadina <laughs> like at some point i guess i'll have to stop asking you about him but let's give him another year where like he's still a high pedigree guy but i'd imagine this season was like considered a huge disappointment like he managed only 24 points in 74 games saw his ice time fall to a career low for 14 minutes and 11 seconds on average. I guess like Verona, a new coach can maybe help though. uh, You know, it's still only 22. Like, are we at a point now where we have to consider the possibility that Zadina may like just be a bust and not ever become an impact player in the league? Or do you still think there's a chance he can meet his draft potential?
0: You know, I, I don't ever want to label anybody as a, as a bust. I mean, I think there's certainly, The likelihood that he's going to be what a lot of people thought he was is is certainly diminishing, Um, but we have seen scenarios even recently where players can go to a different team or get exposed to a different coach and potentially have a resurgence in their career. Um, You know, a guy that comes to mind uh, recently, you know, you think about Sam Bennett, Sam Reinhardt, uh, those are two guys who had massive expectations prior to their drafts, maybe didn't start their careers as 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 good as one would have hoped and then both sort of had terrific years down in florida Mm -hmm. um you know
1: everyone everyone does right
0: right i mean everyone does right but i mean you're talking about sam reinhardt goes down there and all of a sudden this guy's a 30 goal 80 you know per game player sam bennett also had a terrific season down there so i don't ever want to rule it out because those guys both did it later in their careers than where we're talking about philip zadina and Again, he is still so young, but I, I do have concerns. I think there are certainly things that have to get better. You know, the guy still struggles to pick his spots on shots. He still struggles to create his own shot, which I think is a huge, um, you know, issue for him because he relies on other players to create space for him. And then on the power play, he hasn't been as effective in getting his shot off or even getting himself into to open situations where you think that that one-timer is going to be more deadly. So the end result is he ends up being more of a perimeter passive player and not able to contribute to the game as much as you'd like. So potentially another coach comes in and unlocks his ability, potentially a full season of playing with Jacob Vrana unlocks that ability again, did not get that. Um, But I will say at this point, it's going to have to be a show me kind of situation. I would not bet on him having a massive breakout. Uh, I don't think he could at this point without having him first sort of show you that he can really do all the things here. I know a lot of people are getting enamored with the young player has a renaissance after leaving because of guys like Val Nachushkin, uh and, you know, the two guys that we just talked about. Zadina statistically does not look like those guys. He does not have the hallmarks of potentially being the kind of guy that breaks out. So we will, we will see, but I think more of his game, particularly the defensive game, his ability to play in space and his ability to create space, all of that has to get better for him to really take it to the next level.
1: Right. Yeah. So I guess maybe we'll see what the new coach thinks of him and how he gets deployed. But yeah, definitely he's not going to be a guy that I'm rushing to grab in my, in my fantasy drafts. But it would be nice to see. Like, uh, Definitely I was one of those losers who was being all oh, the Sens pick Brady Kachuk. They're so dumb. They should have taken Zadina. So uh, <laughs> right now, obviously, Ottawa's looking smart. I guess a lot of, a lot of teams are. But uh, okay. <laughs> Uh, so at this point, I think that I might be done with like noteworthy forwards on this team, at least like non-prospects. Like, please correct me if I'm wrong. Like we've got some other names right? like Pew Suter. They signed him. I guess he did what they expected. I'd imagine maybe yeah. not. <laughs> I don't really know what to ask about him. Robbie Fabry at this point. I think we know what he is. Yeah. Uh, it seems like Joe Valeno isn't going to be a huge offensive force. Like, what did you think of his rookie season? Is there any, is there anything I'm missing on? on no, his, no. Okay.
0: <laughs> I don't, I don't think so. Really the only guy that showed a little bit more in the back half of the season, that's maybe interesting is Michael Rasmussen. I think the last three months of the year, he looked a little bit better when the wings shifted him full time over to the wing and away from center. I think if that continues, he may have a limited upside from where he's been right now. Um, you know, potentially he gets himself into the the range of a twenty goal player. He hit fifteen this past season. Um, so that's really the only guy that I think has a little bit more upside than uh, than than maybe some of the other guys on the team.
1: Okay, very has yeah. seven goals in his last 20 games. so I guess that would be like a almost 30 goal guy, but maybe that obviously it's easy to just pick a little small sample where he yeah. scores a few goals. Uh, okay so let's switch over to d i guess and then we could end with with some prospects but well and and the goaltending of course okay oh lots to talk oh the time's flying by for sean okay (laughs) so we already talked about moritz cider i don't know how much more there is to say he's amazing had a fantastic rookie season like do you think now like now that you've changed your perception of him and now he's not only like a great defensive player but he's a guy who just put up 50 points in his rookie season as a defenseman should we be like satisfied like okay that's though like there's no way he's more than a 50 point defenseman or do you think like as the wings you know get better and if he's running the top power play should we be expecting that potentially there's even more or more of a ceiling or is that just being greedy
0: I think there's potentially more here Um, you know again I I mentioned to you that a lot of his points uh, came on the power play but it was a pretty bad power play uh, for the Red Wings and again if, if you start to have those guys Uh, run a more efficient power play, generate more chances, the potential to rack up secondary and primary assists if he's sitting there on the first unit is going to definitely increase. And then even at five on five, I mean, we're still talking about a team that got caved in at five on five. His ability to generate points and transition offense was limited because they were always playing without the puck. And so you start to add some more talent around him and potentially this is a guy that can threaten the 60-point range I don't think you're going to see him ever be more than a 60-point guy. Um, although the with scoring sort of trending up, maybe, maybe he does find himself in that territory. But I, I think maybe the 60 points would sort of be – 60 to 65 would probably be the upper limit of what I think you could expect from him. I think next year I would hope to see about 10 goals, 55 points, something in that range.
1: Yeah, I mean, one place where I see some room for grow, actually, when you just look at his game log to start the season, he had a lot of games with like one or two, like it looks like his first like 10 games or so, he only had one or two shots on goal. Uh, by the end of the season, there was like a six shot game, like some three and four, like a couple sixes now I'm seeing against Columbus on the ninth and then against uh, the Leafs right near the end. So like if he could like up that like he ended up averaging overall, like only around 2.3 shots per game. But if he could become like, I'm just like drooling as like for fantasy, right? Because like like if he's like going to be a three shot per game defenseman on average with like 150 hits like he had and like 150 plus blocks and like potential 60 like who like I'm trying to think of a comparable like a Shea Weber is jumping out at me or like I don't know he's, he's good <laughs>
0: yeah I mean you're 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 sort of thinking about like the, the the prime Shea Weber type is what you're hoping that he can be um, obviously he doesn't have the shot that Shea Weber does but really the guy that can eat all those minutes uh, you know Ryan Suter with maybe a little bit more offensive upside sort of along those lines, guys that, that can just eat 30 minutes for you. Um, you know, the Red Wings love those types of players, having had a guy that could do that for 20-plus years, in Nick Lidstrom. And so, you know, they would love for to be able to throw Mo Sider out there for 25 to 27 minutes a night and have him play every situation. So to me, from a fantasy hockey standpoint, you should be drooling over this guy because he's going to play a ton of minutes, going to shoot the puck a lot, He's going to play top power play, top penalty kill. He's going to block a lot of shots. He's going to hit a lot of people. And he's going to put up points. And so he, he seems to fill up a lot of the statistical categories you'd be looking for in a defenseman.
1: Yeah, I guess if if Iserman gives us that signal, like you were saying, if he signs Bertuzzi and whatever, it doesn't look like he's going for the tank, but going for a good season, then... I don't know. I, I guess I'm spilling the beans here saying I, for, to my opponents that I'm going to be going for cider, but I guess everyone will be. So it's not like too uh, <laughs> too big of a secret to be letting out. Uh, OK, so I guess then cider's gain was Phil Horonic's loss, right? He was relegated to the second power player, maybe sometimes a 2D configuration that didn't stop him, though, from putting up actually a career high 38 points, which is not too shabby. It was actually uh an interesting season right he had that uh scratch for two games early in the year but then right after that he like popped off for eight points in his next 11 games uh then he really like kind of disappeared uh by the end but of course siders in the picture edvinson is is on his way like is it fair to say that what we just saw from Heronick is maybe like the most we should expect now it could only like kind of go down as they fill out on d
0: yeah, I think I think honestly, you you've seen maybe the peak of Philip Perona's fantasy value uh, as he starts to lose more and more ice time in situations like the power play, like you know even strength minutes being cut down. Um, his opportunities to score points is is going to drop off, and you know I he, and he doesn't tend to impact the game in a lot of other areas. He's not been a guy who can consistently drive play. Um, and so I, I do think he is at risk for being leapfrogged uh, by some of the guys the Red Wings have in the system and potentially by some free agents that the Red Wings may chase, again, depending on what their strategy is. I think out of necessity, he's been a guy that's played a lot of minutes for Detroit because, I mean, you look at their defensive roster right now and it's it's pretty embarrassing. I mean, uh, among right shot D after Moritz Cider, Sider, Philip Ronick's competition is Gustav Lindstrom, Stephen Camper, uh and that's it really on, on right shot D. So, you know, he, he hasn't had much to really contend with. And so I think it'll be really interesting to see as the wings add some more talent in there, as the wings bring in guys like Albert Johansson, Shai Buyam, you know, other guys who can maybe play uh, on the defensive side of the puck left or right D I think it'll be interesting to see if he continues to drop off even more.
1: Yeah, maybe now after a decent offensive season now would be a good time to trade him if he's not part of the future. I wonder if maybe he's part of some deal for a, a chicken or whatever you were suggesting they could go for.
0: Yeah, I mean, he's potentially a guy again going back to Eisman tipping his hand. He's a guy who would, you know, contend could probably be moved this year. I wouldn't be shocked if he's moved um, cuz you know, he's a 24-year-old right shot defenseman on a cheap contract for 2 years at 4.4 million maybe a contender is willing to 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 trade for him and potentially give up some some picks prospects or another young comparable player that maybe hasn't worked out as well so I think he could he could certainly be in play here at the trade deadline. And, and that could, again, change what his fantasy value looks like.
1: Mm-hmm. And then I guess, like we I mentioned Edvinson, and like we were talking about a bunch of this, these different defensemen in the system, but like speaking of this uh, sixth overall pick from last season, uh, so last year in our interview, you said you were hoping that William Eklund would fall to the wings for their pick, and he actually did. They did have the opportunity to pick Eklund, but they ended up going with Edvinson instead. And then if you look at what he ended up doing... Last season after getting drafted, 19 points in 44 games was for Lunda, Obviously, for defensive, it's kind of hard to judge uh, these like European numbers and if like that means they were good or not. So, I guess I need to ask you, the expert, like, and I guess your sense of like, how does management feel about the pick at this point? Do they feel like they, they nailed it and they're really excited to see what happens when he comes to North America? Or do you think uh, people are kind of feeling like, oh, maybe we shouldn't have uh, passed on Eklund?
0: I mean, this is another home run. Uh, okay. from awesome. the way from the way that Mo Cider was a home run, this is also shaping up to be a similar type of home run. So with Edmondson prior to the draft, the whole aspect to him was, you know, he had all of the tools, he had all of the ability, but needed to find a way to put it together. Well, he put it together this past year. He was a runner up for SHL Rookie of the Year, arguably one of the best defensemen. Um, we've ever seen, or we've we've seen in the SHL this past year. He, I think he had 19 points, like you mentioned. It's the fourth most by a U19 defenseman in the SHL ever. Oh wow! And okay, so <laughs> this was this was a guy that had a really strong season, and then when you factor in he's six foot five, 210 pounds, and skates well, he's going to be another dynamic guy to put on on the defensive end. I don't think he has the most cider impact but if he gets to step in and play 20 minutes, I would not be shocked if he steps in plays 20 minutes a night and is a 35 to 40 point defenseman for the Red Wings next year. I think he could be that good. And I would expect him to be in Detroit at the start of next season.
1: Okay. Well, last time you said that you were talking about cider and we saw what what he did. So (laughs) uh, people definitely need to now be aware that if Evanson makes the team, maybe, yeah, this is a guy who will at least do what Hronik did and, and maybe more.
0: Yeah, I mean he signed his entry level contract, and I'm I would say 99% sure they have no plans on him going to Grand Rapids. Uh, particularly when you look at Detroit's left side of their defense with Jordan Osterley, uh OU Levy, Jake Wallman, Mark Stahl. He's gonna be he's gonna be on the team next year. Uh, I would I would wager a lot on that. And and potentially even their number one LD, and potentially you run Edmondson and Sider together, although I suspect they'll break them up. Um, and just run two pairs that each get twenty to twenty two minutes a night.
1: Oh, I wonder if Detroit could try to go for a second straight calder winning defenseman.
0: I would not be shocked. He is a he is very good.
1: Okay, maybe I'll just put my winnings down, let it ride. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, So then like looking at other prospects, like is there anyone else that you're looking at that's going to maybe make the team next year and have an impact? Like you brought up Jonathan Berggren before uh, as a forward. He had 64 points in 70 games with Grand Rapids last season. I think you also mentioned Albert Johansson, who was the uh, 60th overall pick in uh, 2019. Uh, Are those guys or or anyone else on your mind as someone who's going to be a rookie next year and someone we should be watching out for?
0: Yeah, I think, uh, think Berggren's a guy that has a shot at making the team next year. Um, he set the Grand Rapids Griffins rookie record for points in a season this past year. And you think about some of the guys that have come through there, like Gus Nyquist and Thomas Tatar, and it's, it's kind of an impressive achievement for, for him to go 64. And he really got red hot in the second half of the season with scoring basically every single game. He's a tremendous playmaker. In that Lucas Raymond mold of player, except his shot isn't as good, but he's an outstanding playmaker, passes the puck very well. He could be a huge asset to the power play. I think a lot of his ability to make the team will be dependent on if the Red Wings, again, decide to tear down or fill out the roster. Um, But, you know, after having that kind of season in Grand Rapids, there's not really much left for him to prove there. Uh, And and, and potentially you're looking at him – playing third line minutes for Detroit next year, particularly if Robbie Fabry is not healthy and ready to go after the ACL injury. Um, I would, I would not be surprised to see Bergman there and potentially getting some second power play minutes. Um, And then beyond him, there's two other guys I think with outside shots of playing for the wings next year. Uh, One is Albert Johansson, uh, another defenseman over from Sweden, Sweden, if you're sensing a theme, Uh, smooth skating defenseman, more of the join the rush type player. He can put some points up on the board. Um, he should be over. I expect him to start in Grand Rapids next year. Um, but unless he and unless he has some sort of tremendous uh start to the season, I don't think you'll see much of him in Detroit. Uh, but he's an outside shot uh to be there. And then the last guy that I think is an outside shot to be there is Omer Soderblom. He's a six foot eight forward, um, also from Sweden. Uh, who just had a monster year uh, in the SHL is one of the better goal scorers in the league. He's also signed his entry level contract, expected to come over and start the season in Grand Rapids. I also don't think you'll see him uh, in Detroit next year, but if you do, it would likely be third line uh, forward minutes, potentially some second line power play due to his size.
1: So, six foot eight, uh, is he someone that throws the body around a lot?
0: Six foot eight with hands and skating ability.
1: Man, not a... <laughs> that
0: physical of a player
1: <laughs> that's amazing though like uh, Iserman, really uh i don't know he's like a legend at this point like everyone like
0: sixth round pick, sixth round pick elmer Soderblom.
1: what's the biggest so. mistake you think Iserman's made as gm of detroit is there one
0: <laughs> i mean there, there's certainly um a handful i think so far the mistakes have been mistakes of not getting enough uh, one that stands out to me is being willing to take Mark Stahl and the $5.2 million uh, of money um, from the Rangers for only a second round pick. I think market value dictates that he probably should have gotten more uh, for, for that there. I think there's a couple of other trades that have been made uh, by him. You know, one that stands out to me is the John Merrill trade to Montreal. I thought he didn't get as much as he should have gotten there. Um that's really been the only fault so I can I can poke with Iserman. Otherwise, I think he's done a tremendous job with his contracts, uh, keeping the terms short, keeping the clauses absent, and and keeping the AAV tolerable. But a lot of what he's been entrusted to do has been the quote-unquote easy part. He just had to let the bad stuff go away and not do anything to make things look worse. This is the first offseason where... I think he really has to take a direction and he really has to take a stand and he really has to make a stamp on this team. And so this is really the first opportunity for a big mistake, if you will.
1: Right. So this is the summer where and I guess he could always just like punt it and try to tank, and then you can't really call it a mistake if it's like a plan. But yeah, if he goes for it and then makes some bad contract signings, I guess that could end up be, well, that's what happened well, to the wings back in the day. Like a lot of bad Yeah, contracts. to
0: me, the mistake would be trying to recreate the Ken Holland twenty sixteen off season where you miss out on all the big free agents, but you throw money at Franz Nielsen, you throw money at Steve Ott, you give Danny de a five year contract extension. That was the off-season that really cemented where Detroit ended up. And so if you go out and you have another off-season like that, you'll end up getting yourself stuck between not being good enough to be a playoff team and not being bad enough to put yourself in a good lottery spot. That's the danger zone. That's where you want to avoid being. So it can be a mistake to add some guys. You have to either add the right guys that are talented enough to push you over the edge, or you have to sell off to be bad enough to end up uh, sort of with one of those top three picks.
1: Interesting. So it's kind of like, yeah, go for whatever Giroux or Gaudreau or you know what Philip Forsberg. But then if you don't get them, don't just like settle and be like, all right, I guess we're throwing our money on Palat and you don't know, need a writer or something.
0: Right. You don't want to. Well, I mean, although I don't mind either of those players, but you don't want to go out there and throw excess money at guys and give them term. Uh, and then watch it all sort of fall apart a couple years into the deal.
1: Yeah. I definitely didn't mean to throw shade at those two. I, I was just <laughs> looking down the list of UFAs and they jumped out as like not nah, maybe guys you want to spend like you know 7-year contracts on.
0: Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. You definitely don't want to give those guys 7-year contracts
1: yeah uh, okay let's end in net then so i was shocked actually when eisman was able to get the 2021 calder nominee alex nadielkovich off of carolina for a pending ufa in bernier and then a third i just like didn't understand it i like i was like how did you why did carolina do this uh and then it was looking even better like when the season started right ned had a great start to his tenure as a red wing 9 12 save percentage in his first 11 games uh then 9 15 in his next 12 games just looking at the splits uh then things went south you brought up at the start of the show how there were like some 8, 9, 10 goals against games. Uh, the second half of the season, Ned uh, fell to below like a 900 goalie for those last like 35-ish games. Overall, ends the season with a 9-1 save percentage. 20, 24, 9 record. Uh, to be fair, even that Second half was like super up and down. Like I know, like overall it was like below this like nine hundred save percentage. But like you see, there's some games where he was like so strong, had, like a forty six safe shutout of the Canes that was followed up with a five goals against, then six goals against performances versus Florida. So I don't know. Like then they shut, then he shut out New Jersey, right? <laughs> like that was like a stretch right at the end of the season. uh So like what what did you think of Nedeljkovic's season overall? Like. Like, like the team was so bad in the second half that you almost want to give him a pass. And it does seem like they got him for like next to nothing. Like, is this a guy now that's like the wings, like starting goalie of the future? Or do you think he still has to kind of prove that he deserves to be called that next season?
0: Yeah, he is. He is a conundrum. I mean, I think in hindsight, though, if you look at this from Carolina's perspective, right, they probably don't hate the deal. They got Freddie Anderson in free agency for a similar contract. That to, to what Nudelkovich wants. And yeah. Freddie Anderson finishes fourth in Vesna voting.
1: But I guess they could have gotten something, maybe more for Ned. Potentially, they, yeah. potentially
0: they could have gotten more for Ned. And and now I sort of I look at Ned and and it's intriguing. He is on the older side, you know, even though he technically was a rookie this year, he's 26. Um I think he has the potential to be a goalie of the future. Uh I think with the right goaltending coach, they can work out some of the kinks in his game. Uh, he does tend to be a little over aggressive at times. Tends to get off his angle, um, and then sometimes I don't know if it's a mental thing where the where the goals can snowball on him, or if it was just sort of what happened this year. But I, I think those are a couple of things that if he can work through and find that consistency from a night in, night out standpoint, he's good. But also the NHL as it's moving is moving towards a tandem system, and this year he was sort of thrust into being a number one when he maybe would have benefited from being in more of a tandem. Um, you know, Thomas Grace wasn't really able to hold up his end of the weight. Uh, really struggled a lot this year. And so the Wings will definitely be bringing in someone new this offseason um, and moving on from Thomas Grace. That'll also significantly impact what Ned's value is moving forward. If they decide to go out and throw money at a Jack Campbell, at a Billy Husto, and say, yeah, we want to go with a 1A, 1B system, That tanks Ned's value, but it may ultimately lead to better numbers from him in those starts. If they go out and say, all right, we're just going to bring in like a Casey DeSmith to come in and play 30 games and let Ned get 50 games, then maybe you get a a, a different perspective there. But I think Ned is best suited as a tandem goalie, a 1B or a 1A. Um, And Detroit may do that this offseason. They may not. But if he's not in that system, I do worry that he's not going to be able to sustain the performance over a large workload,
1: yeah, I guess when he was in Carolina when he was a Calder nominee, like he didn't play like that that many games, and that obviously that worked out pretty well for him okay i I have a goalie they should go after a, a rare Stanley Cup finals goalie who may have like lost money because of his playoff performance, like maybe Darcy Kemper's like expected contract has gone down a little bit after like struggling a bit in the finals, maybe now they can get him for like a shortish term deal for not that much. I don't, I don't know. I like him.
0: I mean, potentially he's a name out there. I think, you know, my philosophy on it's always been don't spend a lot of money on goalies. So I think everybody I just named, I wouldn't, I wouldn't envision Detroit signing except for maybe Casey Dismith. I think mm-hmm. he would be a relatively cheap option uh, to bring in and potentially give you some tandem ability. Uh, although I think he's probably better suited playing 30, 35 games
1: though i guess it is worth mentioning detroit does have a blue chipper in the system right they drafted sebastian casa 15th overall in a draft that they made a trade with dallas to get this pick and this was the first goalie taken in that last draft uh like jesper wallstead went five picks later at 20 Uh, casa played 46 games in the whl last season with the edmonton oil kings put up a 913 save percentage Uh, what did you think about the wings going for a goalie with that pick? And then what do you expect the timeline for Casa to be?
0: Yeah. So again, my philosophy, I don't like spending draft early round draft picks on goalies. So I didn't necessarily love going for um, Sebastian Cosa, but at the same time, if you look at the Red Wings system, they had no goalies that were going to threaten to be an NHL goalie. So they didn't have to put somebody in there that could potentially do that. Um, So, you know, he's a, he's certainly a guy with a lot of promise. He is a monster on skates, six, six, big body, big frame moves. Well, Um, you know, there are some technical aspects to his game that need to be worked on. And it was sort of hard to evaluate over the last couple of years in Edmonton because his oil Kings team is so, so good that on most nights he faces about 19 to 20 shots a game. And so it's, it's very difficult to evaluate a goalie like that when consistently you're seeing very low volumes of shots. I mean, it's almost like evaluating Chris Osgood in the nineties red wings when that's all he was seeing behind that team is, is he was just seeing 19, 20, 23 shots a night. Um, and so that, that makes it a little bit more challenging to evaluate him. What I'd like to see is see Sebastian Costa in the AHL next year. I'd like to see him play as the backup in the AHL next year, potentially bring a um, a veteran goalie in, um, you know, to, to be the 1A in that scenario, whether that's Magnus Helberg, who's already in the system but would need another contract for next year or somebody else, um, let them sort of be the 1A in, in Grand Rapids, let COSA learn from the AHL, the scouting team, the goalie coach, get some more uh, time to, to fix those technical issues while seeing – a higher level of competition but i think at at best he's still at least three years away from the nhl
1: okay so the wings can like go for a goalie now maybe cheaply in, in free agency and it's not as if they're going to be stepping on kosa's timeline i think i said kosa before kosa okay yeah yeah, yeah
0: yeah you're 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 good i i think i think it's at least three years with the technical stuff and needing to see him at a higher level with a larger workload
1: Right. Okay. So, so uh, someone for people to watch if they want to take a long-term view. Maybe by the time the Wings, especially if they do this tank next year, then maybe he'll. It'll be just in time for them to be like a really big contender. Right when he's ready to come in and hopefully take over. All right. So then, looking to this upcoming draft, the last question I have for you is: the Wings now have an eighth pick coming up in a few weeks. Uh, what do you think they should be looking for with this pick? I don't think they're going to take a goalie. You don't have to worry about that. Doesn't seem like there's any <laughs> goalies being projected for the first round this year. Uh, also, I have actually a uh, ninth and 10th pick coming up I- in my uh, Dynasty League. So there's a good chance I might end up going with whoever the Wings picks. So I'll be definitely interested to hear your, your scouting report after the fact. But it, going into it, who, do you have anyone in mind?
0: Yeah, I mean, at 8th at overall, I think this year's draft is so up and down that there's a lot of uncertainty as to who's actually going to be available. I think a, go- a couple of guys that, that come to mind, uh, Frank Nazar, uh, center in the US NTDP, a uh, terrific skater, a uh, terrific playmaker. Uh, attacks the middle of the ice really, really well. Gets you know scores a bunch. I think he's an intriguing player. Um, the knock on him: he's five foot 10 and a half, 180 pounds. Will he be able to stick at center? Will he have to move to wing? Um, Cutter Gauthier, his teammate, a little bit bigger. Played on the wing and center as well. Six foot two, six foot three. Also attacks the middle of the ice quite well. Um, does a does basically everything well and is a pretty good competitor. You'll always find a way to notice him. Um, he's another guy that I like there, Marco Casper. Um, you know, six foot three. Uh, they're calling him a center, but he played winger in, in Rogla this entire year. He's another really good north south guy that attacks the middle of the ice. Less high end skill, but more of that consistency that you like there. So he's another name to consider. And he's coming um, from
1: Sweden, right? So that's obviously what the way like to go from for.
0: <laughs> Although he's Austrian, but he's coming from Sweden. Um, he's another interesting guy and, you know, playing in Rogla. I mean, that's where Moritz Soder came from uh, the year prior. And so I think those three are probably the most intriguing players for Detroit uh, at, at eight, but you know, there's so many guys to consider if they want to go crazy and go with another defenseman. And, and Pavel Minchikov out of the OHL. I think he's a terrific skater and playmaker. You know, Denton Manachuk, defenseman out of the WHL, another guy in, in a similar mold. Um, or they could even get crazier and go for the wingers and take a Jonathan LeKaramaki out of Sweden, who's another terrific high-end skill winger. So there, there's a lot of options here, but I, I, I sort of like Nazar, Kasper, Gauthier, and then Matt Savoy, I, I should mention if he's there as well. I really like his his high end skill, five foot nine center out of the WHL. I think he could be a another game breaking player.
1: I think my favorite part of asking you this question is more so that I'm doing this for my future self because it'll be fun to go back in the <laughs> year and listen. Because like last year was fun hearing you list like all the players who you thought they maybe will go for, and then yeah, it was fun because oh, then now I knew like sort of how these players did and like where they ended up going. Uh, but yeah, yeah you, you, I'm not surprised you didn't mention uh, Tyler Brennan or uh, Tope <laughs> Leinonen as someone you think should reach for.
0: Definitely not.
1: (laughs) All right. Well, Prashant, this has been so fun. Once again, you knocked it out of the park as per usual. I always look forward to our annual Detroit Red Wings talk. Uh, Do you want to let people know if they want to hear more of your wings expertise? uh, How can they follow all your great work?
0: Uh, Yeah, that's an excellent question. At this point in time, all of that great work is strictly confined to Twitter as I, uh, as I try not to do more than I can handle anymore. And so, My Twitter handle is at IR underscore Prashant and that's where you will find just about everything you you can want on Red Wings hockey.
1: I mean, yeah, it's incredible that you have so much knowledge and it's like, I guess it's not your full-time thing anymore.
0: Nope. Never been my full-time thing. Just decided to, yeah, never been. I I actually have a doctorate. I'm I'm in pharmacy and work uh you know in, in medicine so I can't make this my full-time thing at any point
1: right that's so that's <laughs> so interesting uh do people ever come up to you when you're talking and like oh you're Prashant Thayer like let's talk about the Red Wings.
0: <laughs> I've only had that happen a couple of times at the hospital it's a little weird uh <laughs> but uh, yeah it doesn't happen all that often down in North Carolina
1: uh, oh you're in North Carolina I don't know I yeah. think I should actually do better in these interviews and actually like, ask people <laughs> about themselves like, I just want to talk about the team I didn't, I didn't realize you were there
0: no, you're good. Yeah, in Chapel Hill, North Carolina.
1: Oh, cool. So, are, but are you, uh, like, what makes you a Red Wings fan then? Like, were you in Detroit at one point?
0: Yeah, yeah. I grew up in Detroit and I uh, lived there for 15 years before moving down for, for college at UNC.
1: Uh, so, did you go to any people after the Nadjelkovic, like, hot start? Like, oh, you guys let, let go of a good one.
0: <laughs> no, because I I really wasn't certain what to expect, you know, from him. Because, right. again, he only played 20, 25 games for Carolina last year. So, hard to make a huge assessment of what you were getting in him even though it was exciting
1: yeah and obviously like you said like the carolina did just fine (laughs) they had a great season and their gold ending was phenomenal uh okay anyways i'll let you go thanks again for the great chat and yeah looking forward to doing this all again in a year from now if you're still up for it uh
0: definitely